Good morning, church family. <clears throat> I, I'm going to speak with you all about something I think we're all very familiar with this morning, living in northwest Indiana, where all of the major commerce and traffic from east to west happens to flow through. Have you ever been stopped by a train before in your lifetime? So we're familiar with the operation, right? There's some engines, they're coupled to cars, they pull them, they stop on our traffic crossing at their whim and leisure, and don't move on for a very long time, right? This is the way trains work. Have you ever been on a train before, though? It's one thing to hear them as they rumble past you. Have you ever ridden a train? One of my earliest memories of having been on a train came from a family vacation I was probably 10 years old. We, we went on a two-week camping trip to Colorado, never to do it again. And um, I, I, it was amazing. I don't know why we didn't. But one of the things we got to do was out near Leadville, up in the Rockies, we got on a you know, touristy steam engine locomotive passenger car. When we rode out for, I don't know, 45 minutes and somehow wheeled around and came on back to the station, and the power of being in a dead stop with, I don't know, I have no clue how much this thing all weighs together, just like thousands and thousands of pounds, right, like easily, and, and it's loaded up with people, and then all of a sudden you hear, and, and then you feel the jolt. And then you start moving slowly off in a direction, and you come around the turns uh, in the scenic mountains, and you're looking down the line of cars as this thing is pulling you along, and it's incredible. And I, I mention that because I've also seen videos of people that want to show off by attaching a train car to a rope and then you know, demonstrating their strength by, by pulling it down the tracks. And you can't help but be impressed by the human feet there on the one hand. Right? I could not objectively perform that operation. <laughs> However, you also kind of have to wonder, like, but why? There's a locomotive. Like, there's an engine. And I say that because we've been in this series on Christian maturity. Right? And we've been talking about the fact that God wants me growing, and God wants me holy, and God wants me wise, and God wants me discerning, and God wants my heart on things above, and God wants me generous last week. And the temptation, I think, can be that we, we take this railroad track in front of us, and we're thinking, I know the direction I'm supposed to be going. I'm supposed to be heading towards holiness, towards maturity. And we start thinking, well, Maybe if I just like invert this track and, and I use the cross ties as a ladder and I start climbing, like I'm going to get like, okay, growing, okay, now discerning now like, okay, wise, and then I'm trying to get up to the, the mind on things above thing, but I'm running out of strength and I'm running out of steam and I'm trying to pull this car with me. It can feel like it's our job to accomplish, it can feel like we're never going to get there. 
And today we're going to be looking at Galatians 5.22, which I think runs the risk of making us feel even more hopeless. So I encourage you to turn there. Galatians 5, verse 22. Because we're going to see today that God wants us conformed to the Holy Spirit. God wants us conformed to the Spirit. Because as we've been speaking about maturity, it's the Spirit himself who creates the conditions of maturity. It's from the Spirit that the virtues grow which best define maturity in a Christian life. So we're going to see that this morning. Let's look at Galatians chapter 22, sorry, chapter 5, verse 22. It says this, we're jumping right into the heart of a passage and an argument, and it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. What's going on here? Do you see already the, the tendency we might have to feel like, ah. Oh, Love and joy and peace and patience. And then there's kindness, like more and more and more. And I'm just, the ladder is getting higher and higher and higher. And I'm slower and slower and slower to get to the top. Let's, let's see what's happening here because the picture is actually very different than that. Galatians 5 verse 22, it starts off by saying, but, and we'll, we'll look at the rest that we're responding to in a little bit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and on it goes. And I want to not even get past the verb there. The, the fruit of the Spirit is because the first reality we see out of the gates is the fact that it's the Spirit who bears the fruit. The Spirit bears the fruit. The text says the fruit of the Spirit is. As in, where the Spirit is, there will be this fruit. It's inevitable. This must happen, the text is presuming for us. It doesn't say, but the fruit of the Spirit may be. That the fruit of the Spirit can be. Or in much of our cases, uh, guys, the fruit of the Spirit really should be in you. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. The Spirit bears fruit. The Spirit never fails to produce His fruit in a genuine believer's life. Daniel just referenced the book of James. James makes a big point of the fact that faith without works is what? Dead. Faith without works is dead. It's no faith. And here we see maybe the earlier in the timeline, earlier in the chain of causation, reality behind that. That faith without works is no faith because 
of faith exists by the Spirit who always, every time, bears fruit. That fruit results in works. So, so let me state the opposite here for us for a second. In case this feels a little bit too esoteric and out there for us, this is an opposite case. The cause for fruit in your life is not you. The cause for spiritual maturity in my life is not me. It's the Spirit who's the cause. It's the Spirit who is the agent. With this source, you'll get this result. Wherever the Spirit is, His fruit will and does necessarily follow. Has that been your experience in walking with Jesus? Is this fruit in your life? I would say then, make sure you praise God, because it's he who did it. It's him who did it. You know, in life, presumably for you this week, this will happen often, we know better than to take credit for something we didn't do, don't we? I hope you got taught by a mama or a neighbor on the block this lesson early. You liked the cookies? Those were Margaret's recipe. The turkey wasn't dry? Come on. Uncle Keith taught me that trick, right? Like he smokes it, he brines it, he throws it in the fire, he puts it in an active volcano. It's this whole process, right? Like, but I'm, I'm giving credit to where credit's due. It wasn't me, man. I'm just, I'm just reading the recipe on the internet. And it took me 18 hours to make it through their life story to get this. So you better appreciate what you're eating. This old thing, man, this is Costco. I'm an influencer for Kirkland Signature. It's the only one that would take me, you know? We know how to give credit for ordinary things in life. So do we sit in awe and wonder at any of the attributes of God, any of the fruits of his work in our life for the joy we have, for the capacity to love that we have, for the sense of peace we have in the life we're walking through? When we look at our victories that come from self-control or come from faithfulness or come from kindness, are we quick to think, I'm doing a good job. Man, look at me. I'm killing this. Or are we quick to think, praise God, Spirit, you're doing an incredible thing. Praise God, Spirit, Look at the fruit that you're growing. Let's get it straight. It's the Spirit who bears fruit. So Christians, having been saved by grace through faith, having been baptized and sealed and filled with the Spirit forever, you have, in fact, whether you know it or not, begun a lifelong process of receiving the Spirit's fruit, receiving spiritual maturity. And what's that life look like? Let's look at the list again. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Nobody is against these things. As we look at this list, there's something I want us to notice about them, though. 
spirit's fruit here is an internal change. All of these qualities, they're internal qualities. It's an attitude. It's, it's a characteristic. It's a virtue. It may result in externally observable effects. It will result in externally obvious works. But it begins inside, in a new heart and in a renewed mind. Spiritual fruit is an internal change in believers, accomplished by the Spirit. The spiritual fruit, perhaps, is the best portrait we have in a single place of a mature Christian. And we're pretty familiar with portraits, aren't we? Like this one. This is someone I don't know. It's what the internet showed me when I googled portrait, all right? So whoever this is, it's a lovely photo. And this is what we're used to. We, we understand portraits because we really, really, really care about looking good as best as we possibly can, right? As good as it can possibly get, we care about that. You spent valuable time this morning not sleeping in order to look as good as you do this morning. Amen. Well done. <laughs> well done. Man. We spend thousands of hours over our lifetimes. I don't want to think about how much money we spend over our lifetimes, specifically around looking as presentable as possible so that our portraits in other people's eyes can look good. The problem with a portrait is it really doesn't tell you how this person's doing. You can see a little bit in the eyes and the way someone smiles, right, about how they're doing, but... You don't know whether this person is healthy or diseased, whether they're doing wonderfully or they're walking through it right now. You can't tell how a person is, if they're really healthy, if they're really growing in physically, spiritually vibrant ways by the way they look. We can cover up an awful lot in a portrait. You want to know how healthy someone really is, you need to look at their internal person. You need to use a scan like this. Right? Like you need a CAT scan or an MRI or an, or an ultrasound. This is what you need to be looking at. How are you really doing? Are you healthy? Are you growing? We're paying attention to your heart rate and your blood pressure and all these other things that you pay a lot of money in order for someone to jab you and drain the life out of you for a moment. Right? Like We care about knowing how we actually are. The fruit of the Spirit are a lot like a spiritual scan like that. It's an ultrasound. It's an ultrasoul, maybe, let's call it. It's an ultrasoul. The fruit of the Spirit are an ultrasoul. It shows us what we really should be looking for in a life with Christ, in a mature person. What we should look like on the inside. The orientation of our heart, the mindset that we have, the identity we're walking and living out of. So let's fire up the ultra soul for a second and look at these characteristics in your life. I want you to act like this machine is pointing directly at you and, and, and walk through these quickly. They're pretty obvious. We're not going to spend a lot of time on them. We could go one by one, Sunday by Sunday, but we're just going to fly through them because the first one is love, a headliner characteristic. God is love. So where God's at work, love will be evident. Love meaning manifestly a, a willingness to sacrifice for the good of someone else, putting their needs above yours, right? Joy, 
our happiness in God, not anything to do with life circumstances, ebbs and flows of your genuine and real human emotional experience. Christian joy instead is marked by celebration and expectation of God's ultimate victory. It's our enjoyment of his indescribable nature in the meantime. That's joy. Then peace. Christian peace is contentment and all that God has been for us in Jesus, all that he promises to be for us in Jesus. It's a wholeness in our nature in the meantime because of our right relationship with God. And then patience, long-suffering, not, not only dying to your desires once, but then again and again and again, and how much longer is this going to keep going on? Patience. If God has been long-suffering with us, shouldn't we also be happily long-suffering with others? That's the orientation of our heart. Kindness. Being happy to put others first. Submitting to them in Christ. Goodness, uh, moral excellence and nobility, uh, faithfulness, being trustworthy and reliable, being committed to what you said or what you are supposed to be responsible to, gentleness, it's power under control, not needing to force your way through and things. You, you understand whose you are and what you're called to do, self-control having mastery over your desires. I mean, there's, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as he fills you, as he develops you, this is the evidence of him there. And, and there's a perception and a lot of traditions where being filled with the Spirit means losing control. And, and you're never more in control than when the Spirit's at work in your life. You, you actually then have control over yourself. You're actually wholly submitted to God. The fruit of the Spirit is not an external behavior. It's not a giftedness. It's not passionate singing. It's not faithful service. It's not regular church attendance. It's not a skill or ability. They're not the same thing as the Spirit's fruit. They flow from it, but they're not the same. Spirit's fruit is an internal change in our lives out of a new heart and new mind that we've received having been made alive by Jesus because of his work for us in our place, giving to us the righteousness that he had, serving the justice we deserved, and giving us the life God designed us to know with him already, even as we walk through life with the reality of our sinful selves still at war. And there's something about all these qualities that we need to talk about. Because any one of these things could feel exhausting on its own. But it's worse than that. The Spirit's fruit is interconnected. The Spirit's fruit is interconnected. If you go back to the first phrase, the way this whole thing opens up, it says, but the fruit... Of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and this long list of virtues. And, and all my, my grammar people in here are like, um, hold up, though. Can the Spirit inspire a, a grammatical error? 
Because shouldn't it say the fruits, plural, of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, and this long list of virtues? Because there's a lot of them. They are in the plural. Why is it talking about them as if they are a single fruit in the singular? The fruit is. Because it's a fruit, singular, of the Spirit. They come together. The Spirit's fruit is interconnected. Which I, I mean, let me just say the bad news up front. If you don't have all of them, you don't have any of them. These qualities must be taken as a whole. Because when the Spirit's in control of a person's life, all of them are there, not just some of them. The Spirit is singular as the source And he gives us one completely new heart and soul living out of its new identity. And so the fruit of his presence then is complete. It's whole. It's an entire harvest. John Owen called it concatenation. Concatenation. Con with catenation. uh, uh, Mingled together, linked together chain that results in something. Concatenation. Linked together For a result. That's what the Spirit's fruit is. I heard Pastor Tim Keller talk about the fruit this way. Think about it this way. Peace, one of the fruit, right? Without humility, though, which is another one of the fruit, is uh, false peace. It's no peace, peace without humility. Because peace without humility is maybe ultimately derived by pride, thinking that you're in control. And so I I feel peace because I got this. Real peace, though, comes with a humble awareness that I don't got this, that God is sovereignly working this through, and I can trust him. Peace has to be linked to humility and the rest. And, And let me work it through another way. Gentleness, one of the fruit, without faithfulness, another one of the fruit, is really just a temperate personality trait. And God bless you we got people in here who are gentle, or gentle, they're mild-mannered, and they'd be gentle if they weren't Christians, right? Praise the Lord for that. But that's just your Myers-Briggness, right? Like, that's just who you are as a disposition, not necessarily the Spirit's fruit, especially not if your gentleness comes with faithfulness, because maybe you're just avoiding conflict in the first place. Maybe you're just afraid to say the, the truth, and you're not faithful to God, in that sense, maybe you're selfish and you just don't care. And so it's easy to be kind because whatever. Self-control without joy, our our legalistic tendencies perhaps. That's a false self-control. It is no self-control. It sneaks pride into it. You're thinking that I am good I have overcome. I am victorious, or even worse, I am better than all these other losers who couldn't get their act together like I could. But self-control with joy, that's something different. That's, man, I have this new desire that's greater than this old sinful desire, and that's why I'm self-controlled, not because I'm better than, not because I'm great, because God's given me this joy and all these other virtues that make self-control something that comes natural to me now. It's my new self. So you can see, these traits are not robust traits of the Spirit, if they're not taken together all at once, influencing one another. 
as the Spirit bears his fruit in our lives, in your life, it will always be a complete harvest. It's an interconnected, loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kindly, goodly, faithful, gentle, self-controlly kind of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So, Bethel Church, how are we doing climbing that railroad tie to heaven? What do you do if you look at your life right now and you kind of get the feeling that, I don't know. There are major areas where I'm not sure the harvest has come in yet. I'm not seeing some of these fruit, or they don't seem to be developing at the same rate that I would expect them to. I'm seeing some of these traits, man, but there's some others that are a consistent problem for me. What do I do? Man, I am encouraged by a few things. First, that Paul uses fruit as the metaphor here because fruit sure doesn't grow quickly. It doesn't happen overnight. And you drive past that orchard all spring and summer long, and you know fruit is growing, but you don't notice it. Not until late in the season, not until fall. And even then, right away, you, that fruit is not ready yet. Man, it's sour. Try that green banana, but man, you are not going to enjoy the experience. It's like your kids growing up, man. You don't notice the difference day by day. And so there's, you, you keep adjusting to it. But then they go away to a week at grandma's or camp, right? They come back and you're like, are, are you three years older? Like, wow, what happened? I was just seven days. Or, or that measuring stick for each year, like birthday, right? Like you're like, can't deny it. They, they are changing. So the spirit bears fruit in all who are born again in Christ Jesus. Internally interconnectedly, perhaps maybe not in obvious ways all at once, but always with a gradual change towards greater and greater results. But even still, you may look at this list and think, there's no way I can make my life look like that. And to a degree, I think that's Paul's point here. We can't do it ourselves. Friends, this is the Spirit's work, the Spirit's fruit. Maturity in our souls cannot be manufactured, but it can be cultivated as we depend and conform to the Spirit. And that part is spelled out in grace in the verses that close the moment and the verses that precede it. Because in verse 24, he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have, have already crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, since we've been made alive for salvation through the Spirit's work, through the Son's work, we are to keep in step with Him, walk with Him. The word literally is be conformed to Him, match that mold. The Spirit's fruit flourishes in our lives when we are conforming and conformed to Him. As we submit to the Spirit's lead, and we depend on his power and obey his direction, we can 
conform to him and cultivate the fruit that he produces. This is the process of sanctification. We're no longer doomed to the results of our sins and our desires of the old man because that old man was killed in and with Jesus when we trusted in him. We're now able to start noticing the Spirit for the first time in our lives. We're now able to obey and depend on the Spirit. We're free to do that for the first time in our lives, which brings about the results of the Spirit in our lives. The Spirit's fruit flourishes, especially as we conform to Him. We walk with Him. And the entire context here in this passage has been building this argument that we live by the Spirit under grace. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 5, in verse 5 it says this, Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Like we are saved by grace through faith, given the Spirit and led by the Spirit. Then we grow towards the righteousness, towards the maturity and holiness God has for us. In verse 13 he says, You were called to freedom, brothers, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Life in the Spirit is not now a free pass to sin. That's not its purpose. Verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit. Be conformed to match the step of the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, again, there's this conformity to Him, you are not under the lies. He's, he's saying here, your old self does what it does because of what you want. That, like, that is why your old self does what it does. That's why you sin, because you're choosing to want the same things you used to have to want things that weren't of God. But here's the liberating truth here. He says, walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. We don't need to have already changed our sinful desires, what our sinful selves want, in order to start walking in conformity to the Spirit. You don't have to no longer have that temptation to sin in order to walk in holiness. All you have to do is walk with the Spirit and you won't gratify that desire that you still have that's an old desire. The Spirit is against our sin, so conform to Him, and you won't. And you also don't need to construct this new law. You don't have to climb this railroad track placed vertically in order to put on all these fruit, to put on all these mature virtues. No. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. We have a Spirit to direct us now, to lead us out of the sin. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. And then he goes on a laundry list of sin. Like, these are the works of sinful nature. They are evil. They're the inevitable result of a life apart from the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit, he goes on to say our passage, the fruit of the Spirit are these good things that you get to enjoy, you can begin to enjoy because of the Spirit at work in you. Verse 24, those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Your old self, your old desires, your old master of sin has been killed. Those chains have been broken. We are now alive. We are now free. And if we live by the Spirit, verse 25, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Alive by the Spirit, conform to Him. That's what brought you to life, so stay with Him. Stay with Him now. That's that's what rescued you. Stay with that guy. 
Do you, do you see the, the, the logic that Paul is weaving through this fifth chapter of Galatians? All through this section, we see that a mature Christian is rescued and saved by God and his work. The Spirit's a part of that. And then gets to walk into the new life as the Spirit produces his fruit in him by staying with God, by conforming to the Spirit. God doesn't want me experiencing the natural results of my sin. He doesn't want me to attempt to earn my relationship with him by my own achievements. He's saved me by the work of the Spirit and the Son, and now he wants me to submit to the Spirit's direction because God wants me bearing fruit, not gratifying my old sinful desires. So... We have an opportunity now to keep in step with the Spirit, to be conformed to Him. I think that looks like submitting to His leadership, depending on His power, acting on His direction, as clarified by His Word. And walking the Spirit is not some emotional experience or some peace, or just some, I'm not feeling comfortable about this. I don't think God wants me to do this. It, it is at least more than that. It, we can know for sure it's the experience of a believer who reads the word and obeys what the Bible said. Because to be conformed to the Spirit is always going to be in agreement with and clarified by the Spirit's word. The word of God. God will never be in disagreement with his own word. And so we have in this passage a wonderful understanding of what God wants us to be like, what the Spirit will definitely be growing in any of his children, which means, amongst other things, we have this incredibly effective sonosol, this, this rubric with which to look for maturity. And you can scan all sorts of things with this thing. Jesus, in fact, encouraged that as he was clarifying how you can know who to trust and who to follow and walking in faith, he said in Matthew 7, you will recognize them by their, what? Fruits? Or grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And so... I think one application out of this passage today that's important for us as we walk in our world today and through life today is this. We ought to be assessing others, especially the ones we allow into circles of influence in our life. And how do we assess those others? What are we looking to? When it comes to people you're reading or trusting, by what standard do you know you can Many of the qualities our culture admires today, success or wealth or following or popularity or effectiveness, man, not one of those things is a fruit of the Spirit. It's possible to gain even Christian influence, especially in public settings or online or for short periods of time, and not even be a Christian, at least not in any discernible way. The fruit hasn't come to maturity yet. So... A person with a large following and adoring fans, but who aggressively shows hatred to others, we can say for certain is not a maturing Christian. A person who has skill and talent far past anything I could hope to have, and yet is not habitually patient or joyful, is not a maturing Christian. A, a person who serves at every church function that's ever happened in the history of the church, and yet is mean and 
harsh, not gentle with their words or attitudes towards others is at the very least not a maturing Christian. Let's make sure that the qualities we look to in others are the same as the qualities God's looking to in us. God's measure for greatness and good fruit must be our measure. And if someone isn't living a life consistent with the Spirit's fruitfulness, what kind of access and trust should you be giving them in your life to shape your worldview, to shape this new mind and new freedom you have in Jesus? Let's be people who are after God's own heart, who celebrate and esteem people who are after God's own heart. I think the local church provides us an incredible opportunity to do that. Because they, the people in your small group, the people in the row behind you, may have far less influence or resources or networking or reach than someone that you might want to read or follow or hitch your train card to. But you have an opportunity to actually discern whether or not God is maturing them and whether the Spirit is bringing forth fruit. And you want to be connected and around people who are following after God's path towards maturity far more than anyone else if you can't be sure. That's assessing others, though. And so we ought to ask, too, how are we assessing ourselves? I mean, the next time someone asks you, how's, I hope, I hope you've got people who are asking you this. We'd love to connect you into a, a community where this could happen at, How are you doing in your walk with God? What are the things we go to quickly there, maybe? How do you start to answer that? Let's make sure we don't evaluate ourselves against other people. Let's even do better than evaluating ourselves against who we used to be. Let's evaluate our hearts against this harvest, against this fruit. Does this fruit seem to indicate that we're keeping in step with the Spirit? And let's be careful not even to point to the impact we're having on others. Like, man, I'm, I'm really making a difference here, and people are being shaped and, and changed by me. It's like, listen, if your own life isn't growing in these areas of fruitfulness, even if you're having an impact on others, we may be missing everything. Is God's fruit ripening? Are these traits more and more the instinct of your life. A Christian is conformed to the Spirit. And what that means is we've given up trying to tape fruit to our lives. We've given up trying to be enough to pull the train up the tracks. We instead recognize day by day as we look to His Word, as we spend time with Him. That I'm a car that was chained to the earth behind me. But the Spirit has come through the gospel, broken that chain. And the gospel is powering the engine that brings me guaranteed towards holiness. And the Spirit is that coupling with which all I have to do is stay connected, stay conformed. The gospel will change me if I keep going back to it, if I stay connected through it. So as I think about this passage, I 
praise God today. He's patient. And then he knows what it takes to bring forth fruit. Even in the lives of the people who seem like the hardest soil. God will cause his fruit to grow and his children through the gospel and the Spirit's work. So let's enjoy it flourishing in us by conforming to him and following his lead, rejoicing in the liberation and life we have because of his work for us.